Welcome to episode 55 of Little Cabin Knits, Vulnerable Knits. Little Cabin Knits is a bi-weekly podcast all about knitting, mental health, advocacy, my pregnancy journey, and life happenings here in the wilds of Alaska with a little bit of yoga sprinkled throughout. I'm your host, Emily. I'm a knitter, crafter, mental health therapist, and explorer of my home state of Alaska. This week's episode contains administration, raise a cuppa, on the couch, on the shelf, personal skill set, a time for Huga, and contemplation corner. So sit back with a cuppa of your choice and let's talk about the craft that we all love, knitting, and about being vulnerable with each other. Administration. Hello, my friends. My name is Emily, your host here on The Little Cabin Knits. You can find me on Instagram and on Ravelry, where all us knitters, crocheters, and spinners, and weavers go for all of our crafting little doodads, um, our social network, if you will. You can find me there as Anders Mill Knits. I also have a group there called Between Knits and Pearls. I have a couple groups there, but really Between Knits and Pearls is the only one I update, so... Let's stick to that one. Um, I also have a YouTube channel called Between Knits and Pearls. And my good friend Stephanie, who is, um, no, I keep on wanting to call her by her, Farmstead Knits. That's her new handle. She and I will be recording this weekend because we have some prizes to give out. So we're super excited about that. But you can find all the show notes. And I write up an article every episode about... A mental health topic and so you can find my entire thing there uh, it's called betweenknitsandpearls.com and if you have a question or comment and you can email me at littlekevinknitsak at gmail.com so we have a lot of fun things going on and there's a lot of fun things going on across the board for podcasters and YouTubers in the crafting world. So, wow, do you have a smorgasbord to choose from? It's pretty awesome. Um, I would try to list them all, but I didn't make a list beforehand, so (laughs) I'm going to forget things, so I'm not even going to try. But for us, we have the Higa Home Swap sign up that is open until February 14th at midnight Alaska time. So if you're listening to this episode right away, because I'm recording it and publishing it on the 10th, then you still have four days to sign up. And we have a lot of people who are signing up. It's so exciting. How do you sign up for this swap? Well, I made a Google form. And so that is, you can find the link to that in a multitude of places. I have it listed on my website of betweenknitsandpearls.com. I've got it linked in my Instagram feed of Anders Mill Knits. So if you go to my profile on Instagram, you can find it there. If you go to Ravelry to the Between Knits and Pearls group, you can find the Higa Home Swap thread there and you can click on the form link there. And I'm not going to go into all the details about what this is all about. I'm going to just encourage you to go on over to um, the, you can listen to last episode, which a lot of you guys did. Man, that that episode got a lot of listens. I was really surprised by that. Anyway, (laughs) but you can also go to the, just click on the link for the Google form and it has all of the Um, requirements for you to engage and to be a part of the swap listed and then a whole bunch of questions not a whole bunch a handful of questions for you to answer so that your swap partner can get to know you my plan is to assign swap partners on probably more actually let me check my calendar because my goodness my my work has been insane lately okay next week I probably won't get to assign partners until like Wednesday the 16th. So expect an email from me on the 16th um, of February about your swap partner about that. I'll put that on my to-do list so I make sure I get that in. All right. And I absolutely love swaps. I don't know about you guys, but, you know, we have two annual swaps a year on, on the Between Knits and Pearls YouTube channel, which I also 
promote here. We have the 24 Days of Cheer that we do for the month of December. And then we also have the Merry Everything and Happy in July swap that we do in July. But I was just, I don't know, I was just kind of hankering for something a little bit different than the norm. And so I came up with this. And I really like it because I get to know people that I otherwise generally wouldn't get to know. And I make new friends. Actually, I... Most of the people I've swapped with, we're in almost daily communication to this day. So it's pretty freaking fun. If you want to make a new friend, this is a really good way to do it. So there's the the news about the Higa Home Swap. But then we also just finished up the Knitting Your Blues Away Cow. And so that ran from January 10th to February 7th. And I finished two projects. I tried to finish three, which we'll talk about on the couch soon, but I didn't get there. Uh, but we will be drawing for the the winners of that cal uh, on the YouTube channel this weekend. So be looking for that. And also, of course, we have our big knit along or craft along, which is called Project Down Along. And it is going strong. So you can find that we have a, a Ravelry thread on, on the Between Knits and Pearls group. But also if you um, enter in the hashtag on Instagram of Project Down Along 2022, you can see everybody's posts for that. It's really awesome. And this is running from January 1st through May 31st. And then I have prizes, which I'm so excited to talk about. But first, I just wanted to clarify, because there's been a couple people who asked, if they started a project December 29th or December 31st, could that still count as a quote-unquote old project? And in my head, heck yeah. Yeah, go for it. Anything that started before January 1st of 2022, in my head, is up for grabs. Our goal is to just get our project list that our current whips that are you know that we're working on just get that number down you know and I, I I'm quite proud of myself I've been doing pretty darn good we'll talk about that too in a minute but as for prizes we have a brand new um donor slash I want to say like she is like I don't know she's like our angel but it's Alexandria of We You Knits on Instagram and on Ravelry. You can also find her there. Uh, Alexandria is a good friend of mine, uh, and she is very local to me. She actually lives in my hometown. And you guys, if you've listened to past episodes, you've heard me uh, knit up her. Uh, uh, I did a a test knit for her last year, but I also knit up two of her Alaska skirts uh, this last year because I loved it so much and. I'm really surprised, but actually really gratified to see how many people actually started knitting the Alaska skirt along with that. By the way, it's been the Alaska skirt has been like permanently attached to my hips for the last couple of weeks because it's been so cold here. But that's beside the point. So Alex, Alex actually donated eight patterns of your choice from her um, publish patterns on Ravelry to so eight people will win a copy of their choice uh, of her pattern on Ravelry at the end of May. I am so excited about that! Isn't that awesome? And on top of that, we also have two sweaters quantities. We have a sweaters quantity of fingering weight in the thunderstorm colorway from Knit Picks, and we also have a um. Um, I think it's fingering weight, actually. Maybe it's a little bit more sport weight. I should look at that. But it's Lindy Chain in the Harbor colorway from also Knit Picks, and that's a linen blend. And so if you guys are wanting, like, you could totally win one of the sweaters quantities and then go pick up one of Alex's sweaters that are so beautiful. She's got so many of them. I want to knit them all. And go to town on that. That would be awesome. And not to forget... Never to forget our dear friend Knitter Cat, who's also donated two skeins from her own stash to two lucky winners as well. So we've got, okay, let's see here. Eight plus two is 10 plus two more. So, so far we've got 12 prizes to give away at the end of this project down along. Um, so I'll be drawing for that in June, but um, 
Also, don't hold your breath because (laughs) right when this ends is about when I'm supposed to be giving birth. So it'll be fun for me to figure out when I'll be podcasting around that time. And that, my friend, is administration. Raise a cuppa. Well, I don't know about you guys, but I have been super excited and very invested in the Winter 22 Olympics. And it is on every night in my house. And, uh, you know, sadly, being in Alaska, we're actually closer to China than anybody else in the United States. And yet we are the last ones to see any of the events because of the time zone that we're in. So Alaska time zone is the last time zone in the world. So I'm behind everybody else in the world. It's hilarious. I love it. But I I put it on whenever I have a break during the day at work to check on how things are going. And I've just been super inspired by all of the the stories of resiliency and triumphs and and camaraderie that I'm seeing from all the participants from all over the world. I just really love it. Now, I personally and my family, we are really um, rooting for both the USA team, but also the Ukrainian team. And, you know, there's a number of reasons why we're rooting for the Ukrainian team. The main one is, is that my brother-in-law, so my brother's husband, is Ukrainian by birth, grew up there, and then my brother met him when my brother lived in the U. Uh, no, not the UK, over in Europe. And they fell in love and came back here to Alaska to live. But my brother, Oleg, his family is still back in the Ukraine. And with the difficulties going on, and that's to put it lightly, with Russia, you know, as a family, we've been pretty scared about what that means for Oleg's family, his parents and his siblings. And, you know, I don't know about you, but it's just been interesting to watch the ROC team and the Ukrainian team compete in the same arenas. And sometimes it's almost as if they're not even acknowledging each other. And sometimes, you know, I see a slight nod, especially the figure skaters and stuff. But I don't know. I just, I, 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 you know, I, <laughs> I don't want to boohoo the ROCP guys because, I mean, it's the government that's going against, you know, Ukraine, not the ROC participants. And yet at the same time, whenever they make a triumph, I'm just like, no, <laughs> and I want my Ukrainians to beat you. So, you know, that's just been what I've been watching and who I've been rooting for. And I've been You know, on another side note, I've been working extremely long hours of late and I'm very exhausted both mentally and physically. So now my 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 job isn't actually physically demanding, but, you know, pregnancy actually is physically demanding, even if you're just laying down or sitting at my desk teaching or creating curriculums or doing the myriad of other things that I do. Um, you know, because I'm the director of two programs in my organization. So there's a lot for me to do on a daily basis. And so I start in the early morning. It feels like I'm never ending until well past five. But, you know, so by that time, I just want to lay in bed. Sometimes I feel like knitting and sometimes I don't, but I always have the Olympics on. And so, you know, I just, I always find time to knit though, because knitting just gives me that relief from all the challenges. And it seriously feeds my cup of energy to then come back the next day with a renewed spirit. And I just had a checkup this week with my OB. Well, actually it was another doctor at the OB office who I didn't really enjoy meeting with her. I told my husband this morning over breakfast, like, I just felt rather judged by this doctor and that I preferred our regular OB because I felt like our OB actually listens to us. And, you know, he's like, well, I didn't feel judged, but yeah, she was kind of short with you and she just didn't really seem to be invested in you. And I guess I can understand that because she's not your, your actual doctor. And I, I was like, yeah, I get it. It's just... She made some comments that really hurt my feelings. Like, I've been having a really hard time drinking water. Every time I drink water, I throw up within moments 
if not minutes of drinking water. And I'm still forcing myself to do it. But let's see, my bottle's right beside me. If I get in about 40 ounces a day, I'm doing pretty good. And I'm not even sure how much of that I'm retaining because of how much I throw up. On the flip side, I can drink all the Diet Mountain Dew in the world and never feel sick and never throw up. And so I mentioned that to the doctor and she just was absolutely horrified by my actions and was lecturing me about how I needed to be drinking over a gallon of water a day, no soda at all, and going on and on. And I'm, and I just wanted to slap her. I was like, you have no idea. I don't know if you've ever been pregnant before, lady, but you being a doctor of pregnant women versus you actually having experience being pregnant are two vastly different things. And I'm 40 years old. This is my first pregnancy and it's been very hard on me. And I don't really appreciate being lectured about something that I'm actually working very hard on doing, making me feel ashamed like I'm a three-year-old needing to learn that water is essential to life. Like, I just really didn't appreciate that. What was funny about all of this is that I hadn't been home from the doctor for more than a few hours when I got a call from my doctor's office, my OB, and they asked if I would come in this next Wednesday to talk to my regular doctor. So I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what happened, <laughs> but um, I'm going to see my regular doctor next week. And so I'm pretty happy about that. I also finally got into a chiropractor who is, specializes in women who are pregnant. And I saw her yesterday and she did a lot of adjustments on me and none of them in any way like she made sure that I was in the perfect position so that my belly was protected and that nothing was going to harm little Jimmy in the belly my little munchkin and I just it was so it I felt so so much relief yesterday but again you know I don't know if you guys if I've ever mentioned this I probably have I can't believe if I hadn't but I am a cancer survivor. When I was 19, I had leiomyosarcoma, which is a very rare cancer. And they removed um, an entire muscle from my thigh. So I don't have, so one of my, my right thigh goes straight on the outside, goes straight to bone and it's very sensitive. But what that has caused over the intervening 20, uh, 21 years or so is that I, my hips go out of joint quite a lot and that my gait varies a lot, so I've had to do a lot of PT over the last 20 years to try and just kind of get things back to normal. I oftentimes, um, like when they measure my feet next to each other, my right leg is actually shorter than my left leg now. And so she was taking all this in and because and I, I was telling her I want a natural birth. But I've also been having a lot of pain in my hips. And I know that this is because the ligaments are stretching and growing to accommodate for the upcoming birth. And she was agreeing with that. And she's just like, there's so many things I can do to help you. And boy, howdy, did she ever. Like, my hips, my lower back felt so good yesterday. I just didn't want it to end. But, you know, today it's kind of back again. I'm starting to feel a little aches and pains and twinges here and there. But again... I get to go and see her on Friday too. So that makes me really happy. So I get another adjustment anyway. So that's what's going on on that side of things. But also we are preparing to change our little condo around all over again. So we finally, all of the construction on our foundation is complete. Um, as of a couple months ago, I think it was November when they completed that. And Mr. Radio and I, our intention all along was to redo at minimum the flooring, patch up the walls and paint um, everything in the condo once that was done. So now it is done. But the problem is, is I can't help with replacing the flooring anymore. I can help with doing the painting as long as we get the kind of paint that won't harm the baby, that won't have the fumes. And my sister knows of what kind that is. So she said she'd go paint shopping with me, I think this weekend. But anyway, my husband's going to take off the week of Valentine's. So the, the week of the 14th. And he is just going to bang it out. He, we're tearing apart first the what is actually the master bedroom but what we have been using as our office we're moving everything out of that room and 
Uh, he is ripping up the carpet and, and then I'm gonna he's gonna help me patch the walls and I will paint and then he will come in and lay the flooring and he's got a whole plan in his head and he's just rearing he's chomping at the bed he's raring to go and then as soon as we're done with the master bedroom we're gonna move uh, it's gonna turn back into our master bedroom so we're gonna move the furniture back in here because it will have more room for us when we have the baby and we can have the bassinet in here and then we will move all of the furniture out of the room that we currently live uh, have as our bedroom and we will start the process all over again and hopefully we'll actually have it totally done in a week that is a huge ask so fingers crossed but my husband feels pretty darn enthusiastic about it and he's really excited so and i'm determined that my child will not be crawling around on 40 year old carpet like this stuff is gross <laughs> so it has to go so yes that is really exciting you know and, you know I've been watching people you know de-stashing a lot of their yarn uh in the last month especially in January where they were de-stashing a lot and you know I've been feeling a little bit um bad I think is the word or selfish because you know my husband this week he's been going through all of his stuff in the master bedroom and he's been throwing out or giving away or donating a lot of stuff and I just keep thinking about how much yarn I have and how much space it takes up and you know how much it would be beneficial if I was to de-stash some of it. And yet at the same time, I literally cannot bring myself to do it. I feel very selfish about this and it's really weighing on me. And so I'm wondering what you guys have thoughts or suggestions around de-stashing and how to kind of separate out the attachment that we have toward our fiber and our yarn to then actually be in a place where we can say, yeah, this would be better off in, a, in, in somebody else's home where they were actually get to it. Because at the moment, my stash is a lot larger than I have the expectancy to knit through in this lifetime. I think they call that ratio the stash to lifetime ratio. No, I can't remember what they call that algorithm <laughs> that somebody made up. But I know that mine is bigger than my life expectancy. And so it's just been really bothering me. And so I just kind of wanted to pick your guys' brain. Like, what are your thoughts around de-stashing? How do you get into the headspace where you can let go of the attachment you have to our yarn and fiber to then, to then you know, allow it to go on to a, another home space? Because maybe that's what I need. It's just a little bit of an encouragement from my fellow yarnaholics. I know you're there to help me through this time and maybe I can do that because I'd rather let my little fella have more space in our tiny home to play around in and so we can store actual needed items that we use on the regular rather than my yarn just taking up so much of the space. So tell me your thoughts about that. On the couch. Well, I have a brand new cast on for the opening ceremony of the Winter Olympics. I always try to cast something on that during the opening ceremonies of all the Olympics. And this year I cast on Anchors Onesie by Petite Knits. Now this has been on my dream list to knit for my baby for I don't, a couple months now. Um, since a friend of mine knit one of Petite Knits um little I guess you might call it a romper maybe uh and posted it on Instagram and I immediately messaged her she's actually due I think the month before me I messaged her and I was just like oh who did you, where did you find that pattern I want to knit that one so that one and then I started looking at petite knits and she's got so many beautiful patterns for little boys and girls and that are unisex but then you know anyway and for babies and so I landed on Anchor's onesie. Actually, I think I bought like four of her patterns that day. I think I just kind of went to town. <laughs> and so the night of the opening ceremonies, 
actually during the ceremonies, I cast this on using a the Lucky Dog yarn in the Christmas Confetti colorway, colorway. And I got this in one of my 24 Days of Cheer swaps a few years ago, and I absolutely love it. But Mr. Radio, he thinks it looks like clown barf. It's a bright, cheery... I don't know if I would go so far as to call it an acidy green, but it's got it's got a really bright green, and, and I wouldn't call it a Christmas tree green at all. It would be more like kind of halfway between a grass green and an acid green. <laughs> Doesn't that just sound great? And then it's got these white splotches throughout and on which is speckled all the different colors of Christmas tree lights, which I just think is super happy like the whole colorway is super happy and I ripped the socks out that I had been knitting these on I think I might have mentioned that I don't know when but a couple of months ago I might have mentioned that I was ripping out those socks because I just didn't really like how the pattern was working with the yarn and so I cast on Anchor's onesie, and it's a complete onesie, arms, legs, everything. And I can knit it all in one skein, but it is the newborn size, size zero to two. So hopefully my little guy isn't going to come out super large <laughs> and not even be able to fit in it, even for the first week of his life. We will see. But I'm knitting this using US size two or 2.75 millimeter needles, and... I am just absolutely loving it. I'm obsessed with this pattern. So I cast this on last Friday night and it is now Thursday and I have separated for the legs. So I've knit the entire body, the, the yoke separated for the sleeves and now I've knit down and I'm knitting on the legs and I think I'll probably have the legs done tonight and then tomorrow I can do the arms and I just need to find buttons that I like that coordinate with this nothing too like cheesy or over the top maybe probably just more wooden tiny buttons and sew those on and the project will be done like I could have this done by the end of this weekend if I also didn't have to clean out my entire office <laughs> and everything as well I don't know we shall see but I'm super excited about this project and I had hoped to have this actually done, at least the knitting part of it, by the end of the uh, Knitting the Blues Away cow. I knew it was an aggressive goal, but, you know, I kind of wanted to, to stretch myself a bit. And I didn't meet that goal, but I'm okay with that. I got so much of it done and enjoyed an entire Saturday last weekend just knitting on this and watching the Olympics. It was awesome. The other thing I'm knitting on still is my jelly roll blanket. And I don't want to go into this ad nauseum again, but this is because you guys have heard me talk about this and you will continue to hear me talk about it because it's a long range project, but I do work on it every single week. And this week I've continued to work on the gray stripe. I think I'm a little over, actually I think I'm three quarters of the way done with the gray stripe. And then I just got to figure out, uh, I think I've already figured out the colors that I'm going to be using next. And so keep, keep working on that. And so it, the, my goal on this one is just to have this baby blanket done by the time my little guy is born. So by June, I just want it done. That's, that's my goal. So there's no huge pressure on it or anything. And so that, my friends, is on the couch. On the shelf, I have two old whips done this episode. So I'll start with the, the really fun one. I actually completed my, The Moose by Susan B. Anderson. Actually, it's just called Moose by Susan B. Anderson, um, the night of the opening game. So about halfway through the opening ceremonies, I had this done and it was blocked and all pinned out, at least the sweater because the moose itself doesn't get blocked. And uh, so I was casting on my anchor's onesie <laughs> like five minutes later. I was just like, all right, I'm going to keep going. But I finally finished the moose. I'm so excited because I cast this on back in... Um, October, I believe. And uh, it's just, 
you know, I got through knitting the, the main body of the moose and I tried to knit the ears and I was just struggling with the ears and fashioning them just right that it just, I put it aside and I, every time I looked at it, I felt guilty because I want this, wanted this done for my little guy so badly. But at the same time, I was really angry at it that I couldn't figure out how to knit these ears. So I just, I forced myself to sit down uh, was it last week? Might have just been last week, actually, like, like like last Monday, and pick it up again. And I tried something a little different. So in the pattern, you knit the ears with the knit side facing outward. Well, Watson, hold on one sec. Well, I apologize about that. We were rudely interrupted by my dog who was barking at nothing. <laughs> But as I was saying, so the ears of the moose are knit with the um, knit stitch facing out. So the, the ears would lay flat and you could fold them in such a way that they kind of look like moose's ears. Well, I, I don't know why I decided to try this, but I just did. I decided to knit it backwards, the, the ears, so the pearl bumps were facing outwards and when I was done with the first year, when I cast off the first year, it, it's just so cute and, and kind of, um, it kind of poofs out. The ear kind of poofs out like a, I don't know, maybe like a little pom-pom or something. It does not in any way look like a moose's ear, but it's adorable. So I was like, you know what? I'm leaving it. I like it. And it's going to my baby. My baby doesn't care if the ears are ergonomically correct. So I'm leaving it. So and then I knit the other ear and the part that I really enjoy knitting, which I was super surprised about because it's the part that I was the most nervous about was knitting the antlers. And there's like uh, three or is there four? I don't have it in front of me. It's in the living room. It, there's uh, three prongs on the antlers. And I actually just super enjoyed the process of knitting those antlers. Like, so I think I might actually really enjoy knitting gloves in the future you know that's on my bucket list like I feel like that's one of the challenges I haven't been able to meet yet as a knitter to knit something that's a little bit more cha technically challenging like knitting a pair of gloves and I've wanted to knit a pair of gloves for my dad for a long time in some black alpaca fingering weight that I have and I've just never been brave enough to cast on Maybe I will now because I just knit these antlers and the, the construction of the prongs, if you will, is the same construction that you would do for for glove, for the fingers on gloves. So I think I can do it. <laughs> so I'm super excited. Now, and then I went on to knit the arms and the legs and and then I knit the sweater, which she gives you two options in the patterns for two different Fair Isle sweaters. And I let my husband choose which option it was. And he wanted the the um, the alpine trees, I think is what she calls it, or they kind of look, look like Christmas trees um, on there. Uh, and so I knit that sweater up. And that's what I finished during the opening ceremony and blocked and had, had out um, blocking by halfway through the opening ceremonies. And this moose is adorable. My husband just loves it. He keeps taking it and putting it in different places around the house. Like it's our little mascot. Um, this morning, I ran out to get myself my Diet Mountain Dew. And when I came back, he'd actually put the moose right beside the front door in a little basket that we have. So it was sitting there greeting me as I opened the front door. <laughs> I just loved it. It was just so awesome. Now, I made my moose fatter than how Susan B. Anderson does because, hello, I'm a plump woman. My husband is a large man and, you know, so I'm going to make the moose to fit our family dynamic, you know? So the yarns I used for this was Knit Picks Provincial Tweed and Worsted Weight in the colorways Coffee Bean, Salsa Verde, Cream, and Black. And just so you all know, the main colorway that I used was coffee bean. So I would say about 90% of this uh, mousse was knit up in coffee bean. And I have more than 60% of the skein left. I have more than probably 90% of all the other colorways left as well. So I plan on adding those in because I've also got 
um, I think I, I think I knit my husband's wedding sweater out of this exact same yarn. And so, and I know I use salsa verde and the cream. And so it'd be interesting to see what I can come up with. If I combine my leftovers from this project to that one, see what else I can come up with to knit with all those leftovers. It'd be really fun. And I also used needle size US 6 and a 4.5. And uh, mainly I did DPNs using the 4.5 just because it was just a lot easier than trying to manage those really fiddly. Uh, I, just, I just felt like the magic loop method was going to be too fiddly for the arms, the legs, and the antlers. Like there's sometimes where, I mean, I'm not a big DPN fan, but there's sometimes where DPNs is just what the doctor ordered, you know? So super happy about that. He seems to be our mascot around the house now. So Moose by Susan B. Anderson is done. And I give that pattern. Okay. I give the pattern four stars because I feel like there could be a little bit more clarity in some places, but I give the finished object five stars or above if I could, because it's so awesome. I also finished A Girl's Best Friend by Isabel Kramer. And we talked about this last time. It was on the couch last time and about how Watson had gotten to my yarn and had ruined a large portion of my knitting. And so I was just, you know, after I had talked about it during the last um, episode, I was just like, you know what? I'm not going to let that hiccup pull me down. It This has been on the needles for almost three years. I'm going to get this baby done. And I was right. I actually finished this project at the end of, of January and I ca and I actually had cast on this project in March of 2019 so almost three years exactly it took me to knit this shawl and so I'm quite proud of myself that I finally got it done and that is my third object that I have completed for the project down along 2022 so I'm getting there I'm getting there um and uh, just a reminder that I knit this with Hazel Knits Cabbage Rose colorway and then contrasting yarn is So Happy Jane in the Aubergine and the Lavender's Blue colorway and I used a US size 6 for the needles and it is beautiful. I have it all blocked out. I haven't taken any like gorgeous photos of me wearing it because I just haven't felt pretty. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, I don't have any like really pretty photos of me, but I do have a photo of the day after I came off the blocking blocking floor, I guess you could say. I had it next to me on the couch and I would just pet it once in a while. And Watson was curled up next to me and he just laid his entire body across the shawl as if he was to say, this is really mine, mother. <laughs> Why do you think I was messing with you when you were knitting it? Because I want this shawl. So it's kind of become Watson's shawl. He kind of lays on it a lot, but it's all right. I do love him. And since I don't get to go outside very often, at least one of us is getting some use out of this beautiful shawl right now. Personal skill set. I want to first thank all of you who wrote in about your thoughts and questions from the last episode in which we covered the subject of depression. There were a lot of requests for me to go further into depth about suicide awareness and how to help someone that you may know or who you may suspect may be contemplating suicide. And I, and I took the time to answer each and every one of your emails or private messages online um, uh, in good detail with lots of links and support and letting you know that I was here for you and, you know, really working out. And I've had good conversations with many of you about that. And I hope that I've been, a, have helped you. And I did contemplate going further into that subject today. However, I'm also aware that these topics are really heavy hitters and they can be really challenging to take in af one after another. Plus, I kind of feel like I covered the main bits of what I wanted to say about um, suicide awareness. I mean, I know there's way more I can go into. Believe me, I know. I've I've been certified as a 
um, in suicide prevention and an advocate as well as a, a crisis line worker for the last five years. So I, I, there's a lot more I could say about it, believe me. But at the same time, I felt like I really hit upon the key things that I wanted you guys to know. Um, and that is, remember that there is a 24-hour helpline and a text line. And something super exciting is that I think they said it was either in May or in March that they're actually going to have a dedicated line across the U.S., there's a 911, you, wherever you are in the U.S., you can call 911 and it'll route you directly to your police station in the area. And they're going to have the same thing for Suicide Crisis Line uh, at some point this spring. It's going to go into effect. I'm super excited about that. But in, I just kind of felt like that's about what I wanted to say. And the rest of these could be more of conversations we have privately. And we have been doing that. Um, I may in the future go into another episode that just talks about suicide awareness. I'm not sure. If you would like that, go ahead and email me about that as well. And I will take that into consideration. But in the meanwhile, I encourage all of you to continue to reach out to me and to loved ones about this topic. Don't shy away from it. But but embrace the vulnerability that the subject presents and it when we do that we take away its power you know that fear that it holds over us and we regain hope in the process because we talked about something that weighs so heavy on us and makes us so afraid right but that did get me thinking about the topic of vulnerability and I thought I would actually just talk about that today, about being vulnerable. Um, now, I could go into a definition about what being vulnerable is, but I think we all have heard that word plenty of times. So I'm, I'm going to tell you just when I, when I think about being vulnerable, I think, I think about showing our kind of our underbelly, if you will, or our soft spots, the places that, that we can be hurt the deepest and the easiest with, such as emotions, right? Or our deepest thoughts or fears. You know, in generations of Western society has taught us that we need to protect ourselves and hide our vulnerability. You know, it, there's been, um, ever since the era of chivalry, way back in medieval times, there's, there's always been this air, this talk about, you know, being tough, wearing armor, having a shield, protecting yourself, right? And that's translated a lot into how we deal with our emotions. And perhaps this stems from a belief that others are not to be trusted, or perhaps it's a belief that we must be seen as strong at all times and we can handle whatever life throws at us. You know, it's up to you what you think about it. Um, scholars are um, have varying thoughts about what, why being vulnerable is so fearsome to us as human beings. One thing I did think about was that of, of children, and especially young men, are taught not to cry because that shows, quote unquote, weakness, or so they're told, right? Even as grownups, when we see another person cry, whether it be a friend or a loved one, we often respond by saying, oh, don't cry. It'll be okay. Oh, please don't cry. You don't have to cry. There's nothing to cry about right? Those kinds of things, uh, those kinds of phrases are used. And I actually have a hypothesis around this and that it's not really that we're trying to comfort the person who was crying, but it's more that it's our fear and uncomfortableness of that person showing that emotion. So we want to make it go away because we're, we're uncomfortable, right? So we tell them not to cry or we try to make light of the matter by telling a joke or something. But really what we're doing in that moment when we're not allowing the person who is crying to have that, that moment of, of sharing, of connection, is that we're telling that person that whatever they're feeling is not appropriate and that they are not seen, they are not respected, and that we just need to go on as if everything is okay, right? And that's what perpetuates 
the the things that we were talking about last week depression and anxiety well we didn't talk about anxiety last week but um and also suicidal thoughts right when we push those things away when we are uncomfortable with the vulnerable vulnerable moment and yet at the same time we do want to provide comfort it's this weird sort of struggle we have going on within us right we want to make the other person feel better but we being in that place where sorrow dwells is really uncomfortable and so we repel mentally when we imagine loved ones being hurt either physically or emotionally and we we seek to relieve that pain in whatever means we have at our disposal and it took me a long time to learn that I am not responsible for healing another's sorrow and pain. And honestly, I still have to remind myself of that almost daily. I'm not responsible for the healing of it. I don't have to make it better when somebody expresses a vulnerable side to themselves. I can just be there in that space with them. And oftentimes, we're going to talk about Brene Brown in a second, but um, Brene Brown actually just says, especially around this um, showing empathy to another person, words don't even matter in that moment. Just being there and allowing that person to express whatever emotion is coming out, that's what's important. We don't have to have a solution. We don't have to have the healing balm that's miraculously going to make it all better. But just our presence and the fact that we are okay with allowing them to express all of that will actually make things better in the end. So, but pain is a very vulnerable space to reside in and we want to escape it as quickly as we can. But to deny pain is to deny our very humanity. As humans, we all experience sorrow, pain, injury, and yes, death. My biggest fear, and I'll be honest with you, is losing a loved one to death. And that fear was magnified this last December when I actually thought I was going to lose my father over Christmas. And it just, I just want to one more time thank you guys all for being there for me and all of the messages of encouragement and hope and love that you gave me in that moment. And no one well, actually, that's a lie. Some people were asking, like, who their doc- his doctor was, who, where was he being treated, and all this kind of stuff. And so they were trying to kind of heal my pain in that moment by offering their expertise in this field. And that still felt okay, right? But what really helped me during that time were those of you who expressed true and honest um, hope and and empathy with me in that time and actually shared your stories of a family member a parent or a child who had gone through similar things that's what really helped me in daring greatly by Brene Brown she defined vulnerability as uncertainty risk and emotional exposure and that sounds scary But she also claims that there are misconceptions about vulnerability, namely that to be vulnerable means that you are weak or that not everyone experiences the emotion of vulnerability or that to be vulnerable means that you have to expose all of your deepest secrets to the world. So I'm referring to these actually as myths. So these are the top myths that I want to talk about. So let's talk about this first one, the myth that to be vulnerable vulnerable means that you are weak. Well, Brene discusses in the book that that we are okay most of the time listening to other people when they express emotions. But when it comes time to share our own emotions, we shut down either mentally or even physically. uh, We might even run away from the uh, from the opportunity. And why do we do that? Because to share our vulnerability must mean that we are weak, right? Actually, not so. Brene describes vulnerability as the core of all emotion. To feel is to be vulnerable, she says. So when we consider vulnerability to be a weakness, we are then saying that we consider one's emotions to be so, right? But being vulnerable connects us with other people. It opens us up to love, joy, creativity, empathy, and so much more. 
when we open up, we actually see the opposite occur within us. Now, instead of being weak, when we share what we are afraid of or our deep emotions, our deepest emotions, we feel more connected to those around us, not so alone in our suffering. And all of that leads to comfort and internal strength. So really, vulnerability sounds like truth and feels like courage, according to Brene Brown. The second myth is that not everyone experiences the emotion of vulnerability. So some people actually lay true claim to that statement, that they've literally never felt vulnerable in their life and that they are okay with that. It's interesting because in actuality, to be human is a state of vulnerability. We are at risk of physical and emotional pain every day just by being human. To be human and to live is to be vulnerable. So no one can actually lay claim to this idea that they've never felt vulnerable before. Being vulnerable isn't a choice we make in life, but rather it is the choice of how we respond when confronted with uncomfortable emotions like fear, uncertainty, or emotional exposure to others. So it's a choice on how we respond in that moment. Many of us respond to these feelings with avoidance. We avoid feeling these things and we stuff them down into our little emotional Pandora's box, praying that no one will ever see uh, sees it uh, shining from our eyes. When we make the choice not to stuff down that emotion, but to recognize it and share it with others, we are choosing courage and loving kindness towards ourselves. In other words, compassion. We are exhibiting self-compassion and even humility to the experience of being human. The last myth that Brene Brown discusses in the book of Daring Greatly is the belief that in order to be vulnerable, you have to expose all your darkest secrets to the world. To lay ourselves at the mercy of the world and their potential judgment, and as Brene puts it, letting it all hang out. However, Brene strongly points out that being vulnerable comes with boundaries of what you believe is okay and not okay to do or say in any given moment or space and with those we have learned to trust and honor, not with complete strangers. She goes on to say, vulnerability is about sharing our feelings and our experiences with people who have earned the right to hear them not a stranger on a train or a bus stop, right? But someone who has earned the right to share in these deepest of emotions and thoughts. Being vulnerable takes courage. Each time I sit down to record, I worry about this process. I ask myself, am I sharing too much, too little? How will you guys all receive it as my listeners? Will they think what I just said was stupid? (laughs) And in the end, I acknowledge that that feeling of fear and, uh, and anxiety, and I recognize it as being vulnerable. And I allow myself to place boundaries around some of the things that I say to you here. But you have also demonstrated to me time and time again that what I share is accepted and more importantly embraced, not because I'm an expert, because I work in the field or anything like that, but because I have earned your trust over time. For me, the courage to share with you in this space is worth every vulnerable moment. I grow every time I sit down at this mic. Brene Brown obviously feels the same way because she does not shy away from sharing her triumphs, her failings, or learning points and growth spots over the years. In an interview that she gave after she published Darren Greatly, she reported, And without question, putting ourselves out there means there's a a far greater risk of feeling hurt. But as I look back on my life and what Daring Greatly has meant to me, I can honestly say that nothing is as uncomfortable, dangerous, and hurtful as believing that I am standing on the outside of my life, looking in and wondering what it would be like if I had had the courage to show up and let myself be seen. 
So today, my friends, I invite you to show up today, to be vulnerable with someone you trust, to share with them those fears that until now, you've pushed down into Pandora's box of emotions. Allow yourself the opportunity to truly be seen and heard by those around you. And the risk is there, but the reward is immense. A time for Hugo. I don't know about where you all are, but here in Alaska, it's been super cold. Last night we had a huge windstorm and it's been snowing constantly here for the last couple weeks now. So I've been curling up with lots of fires made by my wonderful husband, Mr. Radio. Warm drinks, you know, I'm not really a warm drink person, but I do love myself a hot apple cider on an evening with a fire going in the fireplace. And some homemade casseroles. Oh, of course, in the Olympics, too. <laughs> so for, day, for today's Hugo moment, I thought that I'd share with you my recipe for shepherd's pie. This is one of Mr. Radio's most favorite dishes that I make. I mean, this man loves a good casserole, but shepherd's pie, mwah, that's, that's his shtick. He loves it. I'm actually kind of contemplating how I could make a shepherd's pie this summer when we're camping over the fire. I want to, I want to try and figure that one out. And this last week, um, I got the request to make it. And so I actually made us a double batch. <laughs> I didn't get very much out of the double batch. My husband pretty much down that over the coming days. It was, it was, it was, it makes my, it makes me feel really good when I can make something so delicious to him. So I thought I'd share my recipe for that. And it's really simple, guys. Super simple. So I don't imagine that it's really a lot of fun hearing a person recite a recipe on an audio podcast. But, you know, also you can go to betweennitsandpearls.com, episode 55. And if you scroll down, the recipe will just be right there. So and I'm not a, and I'm not a professional recipe writer either. So keep that in mind. <laughs> So the supplies that you need to make this is at least one pound of ground beef. All of these things are to taste and to your like. If you like more ground beef, like more meat, or like I've heard of some people who actually use steak strips in shepherd's pie. I've never done it, but it kind of sounds good. So anyway, one pound of ground beef, a medium onion chopped. I actually lean more towards a large onion because I love a lot of onion in my stuff. Uh, one can of cream of mushroom soup, a tablespoon of ketchup, a tablespoon of Worcestershire sauce or steak sauce, your choice, a bag of frozen peas and carrots, about eight Yukon gold potatoes peeled and mashed, a half a stick of butter, a fourth cup of milk or whole milk or even cream is great if you have it. So the butter and the milk go into the mashing of the potatoes salt and pepper to taste, and one to one and a half cups of shredded cheddar or sharp cheddar cheese. You also need a pot to boil the potatoes, a large, I think they're called, um, well, I'm just going to call it a pan. Is it a stir fry pan? No, I can't remember what they're called. A large pan to cook the beef mixture in, and at least a nine inch pie or casserole dish to bake all of this in. So here's the directions. First off, you want to go ahead and set your oven to 400 degrees. So my mom taught me this. Just because your oven preheats and the dinger goes off to tell you that it's now at temperature, it doesn't mean that your oven is actually ready, ready to receive whatever dish you want to cook in there. My mom actually recommends going another five to 10 minutes after it dings before you put in the stuff into the oven. And so I always, the first thing I do when I know I'm going to use my oven is I set my oven temperature so that while I'm doing all the other prep, my oven can be warming up. The next thing you want to do is peel and cut the potatoes and set them to boil. Uh, when they're soft, you want to drain the water, but leaving a tiny bit, I don't know, I'm guesstimating it's maybe about a teaspoon of a tablespoon of the water that you boiled it in still in the pot with the potatoes. 
Then you want to add butter and milk and mash it up in the pot that you cook them in. Now you get to set that part aside. Actually, I usually do this. I, I, I do all of this in tandem, by the way. Um, so for me, at the same time, I would be cooking the beef and the onion on a large skillet until brown and the, and the onions are nice and soft or translucent. Then you stir in the soup, the bag of peas and carrots, the ketchup, the salt and pepper and steak sauce, all into that pan where you just where where you have the beef and onion mixture. And just another thought around the ketchup and the um, steak sauce. Again, this is to your taste. I I never measure this stuff. I just squirt it in. This last time I put in a little too much ketchup for my liking. I you know I, th- I felt the balance was a tiny bit off, um, but I was cooking cooking a double batch, so <laughs> I could I you know maybe measuring this time would have been wise. But anyway, then you just want to all combine all of that in, in the saucepan, still over about medium heat, and just kind of let everything kind of loosen up and get integrated in. And once it's all combined, you want to put that all into the oven-safe casserole dish. Then, on top of that, you want to spoon the mashed potatoes and making sure to cover your meat mixture completely with the mashed potatoes. And then, this point, you can figure out what you want to do. I always put on my shredded cheddar cheese at this point before I put it in the oven. I have heard of other people doing it differently where they put on the, they cook the mix, the, the casserole first, and then they bring it out, put on the shredded cheese, and put that back in under broil. I'm scared to death of broiling, so I never broil. So, you can choose. But, I like to put on a lot of cheese because I like it a lot nice and gooey. So be liberal liberal with this. Then you just want to put it in the oven. Cook it for 15 to 20 minutes or until the cheese is all melted and starting to brown a bit and you're done. Enjoy. And that, my friends, is my version of shepherd's pie. And I hope that you have either your own casserole dish that you really love making. I think winter months are the perfect time to make casseroles. Like there's just something about those two things that just go so well together. Um, I've been hankering also to make a nice, um, um, uh, what very thick vegetable soup. My husband makes the best soups. And so I might just actually be his sous chef and, and help him make a vegetable soup that, that will hold us over this weekend as we start on our big project here in the house. So, but whatever you're enjoying, remember to do it guilt-free because Huga is all about enjoying the moment and allowing yourself this time without the thought of, oh, this is going straight to my thighs or, oh, I shouldn't be indulging in this chocolate right now because, you know, I just, you know. I'm already overweight or what have you, whatever thoughts go through your mind. Huga is all about letting those things go, being in the moment of comfort and joy. <clears throat> Contemplation Corner. Today I have a quote from a poet Uh, His name is David White, W-H-Y-T-E, and he has a very interesting and thought-provoking quote about vulnerability that I wanted to share with you. So here you are. Vulnerability is not a weakness, a passing indisposition, or something we can arrange to do without. Vulnerability is not a choice. Vulnerability is the underlying, ever-present, and abiding undercurrent of our natural state. To run from vulnerability is to run from the essence of our nature. The attempt to be invulnerable is the vain attempt to be something that we are not, and most especially to close off our understanding of the grief of others. More seriously, refreshing our vulnerability... Oh, sorry... More seriously, refusing our vulnerability, we refuse the help needed at every turn of our existence and immobilize the essential title and conversational foundation of our, our identity. 
to have a temporary isolated sense of power over all events and circumstances is one of the privileges and the prime conceits of being human and especially of being youthfully human but a privilege that must be surrendered with that same youth, with ill health, with accident, with a loss of loved ones who do not share our untouchable powers. Powers that eventually and most emphatically are given up as we approach our last breath. The only choice we have as we mature is how we inhabit our vulnerability. How we become larger and more courageous and more compassionate through our intimacy with, dis with disappearance. Our choice is to inhabit vulnerability as generous citizens of loss, robustly and fully, or conversely, as misers and complainers, reluctant and fearful, always at the gates of existence, but never bravely and completely attempting to enter never wanting to risk ourselves, never walking fully through the door. Well, my friends, our time has come to a close. Thank you so much for joining me for episode 55 of Little Cabin Knits. I really love the subject of vulnerability, and at the same time as I was writing this, I felt really vulnerable. <laughs> <laughs> and uncomfortable um, and I almost didn't share it with you guys today I had to actually you know pull myself up by my bootstraps and say no this is you've been prompted to talk about this so follow through with it you know and there was something else I wanted to mention you may have noticed that I haven't had a spotlight segment in which we spotlight a um, audio podcast in a while and I know there are quite a few out there that I haven't spotlighted yet and I intend to do that it's just that I have been unable to listen to po my audio podcast for weeks almost a couple months now and so I felt really um, behind I always love to listen to whatever podcast that I'm spotlighting at least the last couple episode even episodes that they've published even if I've already listened to them I like to listen to them again before I talk about them on my show so I also want to know is there a knitting or crafting pro podcast out there mind you audible podcast that you are really interested in and that you would like me to spotlight here on Little Cabin Knits. And maybe I get introduced to something new. That would be really fun. I like that idea. So with that being said, I hope you guys have a wonderful time. Enjoy the Olympics if you're watching. Enjoy your crafting time. Enjoy your loved ones, my friends. And remember to knit what you love and love what you knit. Ta-ta for now.